Hello and welcome to Care and Conversations, where we are about to explore all things breastfeeding. Care Plus Pharmacy presents Care and Conversations, a podcast for new parents hosted by mom and brand director Leanne Highland. On this podcast, we want to help you through the scary firsts of parenting and newborn life, bringing you practical advice from the people that know. Hold on tight and enjoy the journey. We've got you. Hello and welcome to Caring Conversations podcast. Today's episode is for any mom who's thinking about breastfeeding their newborn. To talk to us about what to expect during a breastfeeding journey for baby's first days, weeks and months of life is the lovely Katie Muggan, also known as Nursing Mama on Instagram. Katie is a registered general and children's nurse, public health nurse, international board certified lactation consultant, runs her business doing one-to-one consultations and courses, and on top of all of that as a mom to four children. Wow. Katie is one super busy woman and definitely the queen of all things baby. I'm so excited to jump into this episode because I know you're going to get so much insight into this fascinating topic. So Katie, I think it might be good for us to start at the beginning of a mom's breastfeeding journey. What can they expect from that first hour to first week? So yeah, the very first few days can always be a little bit daunting because we don't know what to expect. And this is why I always recommend doing a breastfeeding antenatal class just to give kind of realistic expectations of what to expect and to be able to know when things are going well and maybe when things aren't going so well when the red flags are raised. So starting off, um, for every mom, regardless of how you deliver your baby, whether it's vaginally or via C-section, hopefully baby's placed up onto the chest and then mom will go on to deliver her placenta. When the placenta is delivered, the hormone prolactin surges in the body and this tells the body it's time now to produce milk. When the baby goes to their breast, um, hopefully within the first hour or so, and they get to that lovely skin to skin, the baby suckles on the breast and it releases a hormone oxytocin, which is the love hormone, which makes us all really happy and calm, but also um, releases the milk from the breast. So we have two hormones at play that are very important for milk production. We have prolactin and oxytocin. For the very first few days, the mom will produce colostrum, which is the powerhouse of nutrition, but it's in really small quantities. So that this is in order to let baby learn to suck, swallow and breathe. And in order to do this, then babies go back to the breast really frequent. However, in that very first 24 hour period, babies are recovering from the birth and delivery and they're often quite sleepy. So this is really important for parents to pick baby up every three hours as the longest spell from the start of one feed to the start of the next. That's not a goal to reach or a target. That just means if they've gone to the point of where they they fed at 10 o'clock, and even if it takes an hour to an hour and a half to feed and settle, the next feed is still due at one. So moms will pick them up, they'll put them to the breast and they'll feed. They'll often find in that first 24 hours that the babies are sleepy, they feed, they get back up. Parents think they've hit the jackpot, this baby's so quiet. But then on day two, babies start coming to life and they start realizing that there is life outside the womb. And then all parents will often find that babies go back to the breast more frequent in this situation. As the day rolls on, mom gets a little bit more tired, a bit more fatigued. And often what happens is on night two is baby becomes quite unsettled. They're trying to get to the breast an awful lot more frequent. And if they're not at the breast, they want to be up in mom's arms. When mom goes to put them in the bassinet, they're going, hey, no way, I'm not having this. Pick me back up again. And it's really challenging. This is often referred to as the second night syndrome. And this is, um, research tells us, this is just biologically babies transitioning from womb to life outside that. And they're also trying to tell mom's body to increase the milk supply. 
So this is the time where moms will find it extremely tough. And I always say night two, night three and night four are the hardest nights you put in. But once you get through them, offering the breast, looking at your positions in order to help you get through those tough ones. Maybe in the morning when your partner comes in, you get your shower, you just chill out and try to have that little bit of rest. Have baby snuggled up on your chest and do skin to skin can help you recover from those tougher nights. But baby is trying to tell the body to increase supply. And this is often where our milk starts trying transitioning in around day three to day five for the first time mother. And we'll often see that babies then become a little bit more satisfied because there's a higher milk yield available to them. So we do look at feeding every three hours, no longer than that. So about eight to 12 feeds in a 24 hour period is expected. It depends on mom's milk supply. So the higher milk yield mom has available. So how much milk is available to mom leads to then babies maybe taking in larger volumes and going that little longer spell. There's no right and no wrong when it comes to breastfeeding and how often a baby feeds. But we do expect in those very first kind of zero to day three or four, very frequent feeds, but this is just telling your body to produce more. Um, Babies not wanting to be put down again is just, just transitioning from life outside the womb. They're tough days, but they do get much easier. And it's literally uh, kind of building our little support network around us. Remember, all pet mom has to do is look at feeding the baby. We have our partners to help with winding and changing and settling, making sure mom's had her food. So it's really important that mom has her breakfast, lunch and dinner, her two snacks and having extra snacks to hand, particularly at night. Yeah, and what you've hit on, all of that really, really valuable information because I know when I think back to my journey now, I you know, I had a COVID baby and unfortunately I never got to do my breastfeeding class and in actual fact, everything kind of went into lockdown when I was in the middle of an antenatal class. So I I really went into, you know, obviously I went in, I had the, <laughs> had the baby and I had no knowledge. I just wasn't equipped. But in saying that, the, the like the midwives around you, like the support network that you have in a hospital, like it is like they can set you up for success. Yes. So, you know, don't don't worry. Like you, even if you don't know everything, the fact that you have experts around you to help with the baby, put the baby into position, especially, you know, when you're in the delivery suite and everything's so new and, you know, that that first kind of latch. Absolutely. But I, I have to say only for my midwives in the hospital and, and I was only in the hospital for like, you know, one night, they really helped me on my journey. So you know, don't be afraid to really lean on them. Absolutely. And I say to every mom while they're in the hospital, use that red button. So every time they're latching baby on, use the support that's available to them. So they keep pressing the button, getting somebody to come, making sure the latch is uh, good. And, and if there's any tweaking needs to be made, fantastic. If you hit big hurdles while in the hospital, ask for a lactation consultant. They're available within the hospitals, not at the weekends, but definitely during the days. And link in with all those extra supports that are available whilst in hospital. When you get home, you've got your public public health nurse, you've got GPs, you've got breastfeeding support groups. And I know you didn't have them when you were doing it because of COVID, but they've all restarted back. So we've got Lalesh Lee, Lequidu, and loads of other support networks within the community now to help and support parents. Because sometimes a bit of peer-to-peer support, a mom on the bed next to you to say, you're doing really well. Oh, I had that as well. They could be a day ahead. They let us know that this is normal. And when we know, and this is normal to expect what's coming, then it makes that, when we hit that hurdle, a little bit easier to overcome. It's not as frightening. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. It is literally, you know, and I find as well that like I just had a WhatsApp group with some of the my friends who've been through that journey and you could be texting at 4, 4 a.m. in the morning and you know that it's like, okay, somebody's probably going to be up and be like, oh, what happened here? Is this right? So now you're, you know, you're 100% right, Katie. And and I know, um, I remember when I went into the first few days and people were talking about a letdown reflex, so I had never heard of it. But um, can you just explain um, what that is or what that might feel like, you know, just especially for for the first few days. So the letdown is where the milk is initially ejected from the breast. So um, it's also called the milk ejection reflex. And this is often uh, where moms will feel a tingling sensation. It can be pins and needles, can be quite sharp, can be just a funny feeling within the breast. This can happen as well if you're um, coming up and due a time to feed um, and babies may be starting to mooch or baby starts crying. It can happen when you're out and about. If you hear another baby crying and you're kind of coming up to a feed and you might not even have your own baby to hand. But not every mother feels a letdown and that does not indicate there's a supply issue, but a lot of mothers will feel it. We don't just have one letdown in a feed. We have many letdowns oftentimes, but we generally only feel that very first letdown. And that's the very strong one at the very uh, start. Oftentimes, if moms tend to leak a lot, when we have that letdown reflex, when baby's feeding off one breast, you'll actually leak from the other side. Again, leaking doesn't mean that you've got an oversupply or undersupply or anything like that. Moms will leak because of the nipple pore diameter. So the larger nipple pore diameter means they're more likely to leak. So a mom can have a great milk supply and not leak at all. Baby will get plenty of milk from the breast. So when um, we do often feed from one side, we'll have the letdown on the other side. And this is where you'll see moms collecting a little extra milk from the other breast whilst feeding on uh, on the breast one breast that's interesting I didn't know either I thought it was linked to supply so that's really really interesting and Katie what would be the signs of a good latch because obviously we, you know a good latch is obviously key to kind of success here and some come more natural than others and, and I and I know you're probably you know the ideas of positioning as well and I know that's what my midwife really helped me with to get the best latch but what would be your advice on that so when it comes to latch and attachment, it's always first look at attaching baby to your towards your body. So I'm not a big fan of nursing pillows straight off unless we are feeding multiple babies because then it's a requirement. But when it comes initially, try to avoid using nursing pillows. It makes it easier for us to make sure that we're bringing baby to us rather than leaning over towards baby. And you'll never get as deep attachment if we have a baby lying on a breastfeeding pillow and then we're leaning down towards them. So first and foremost, look at how we bring our baby towards us and then we'll talk about the latch. So so making sure the baby's tummy is completely tummy towards us. So that means both baby's nipples are touching off your abdomen. Their belly buttons are touching off the abdomen. The nappy front of the nappy is touching and the knees are turned towards us. Even the slightest rotation can lead to a baby slipping off the breast and not achieving that really deep latch. A baby having a nice deep latch means they get milk much easier. They cause little or no pain towards you and it makes the breastfeeding journey much more easier. So when you're bringing baby towards breast, no hands should ever be placed on the back of baby's head. If you have a hand or a healthcare professional comes over to help and they put the hand on the back of the head, you'll often find that babies will tilt their head back and they'll push back against it. It's not a comfortable feeling. Also, when we put pressure on the back of the head, when we bring baby's um, mouth towards the breast, you'll find that the baby's head is pushed into the position where the chin is now touching off the chest. The chin should be as far away from the breast and tilted up looking towards the sunlight. So when you're bringing baby towards the breast initially, we always want the chin coming first. So people always hear nipple to nose. It gives a very different impression when we think nipple to nose because we think the nipples touching off the nose. What we actually want is chin coming to the breast first. That leads to the baby's tilting the head back. It means that, that when we have uh, when the chin hits the breast, 
breast, they initiate that reflex where they'll open their mouth. Once they open their mouth, then we hug baby on. And when we hug baby on, it's from between the shoulder blades, not from the back of the head. When you hug the baby on, the baby's head will do their own work and it'll go up and over the breast, taking in as much breast tissue into the mouth. How much breast tissue baby takes into the mouth is dependent on the size of your baby. It depends on the size of your breast. So when we talk about getting as much of the areola into the baby's mouth, remember that everyone's breast is shaped differently. Some people will have small areolas. Some people will have large areolas. That's the darkened circular patch around the nipple. So basically, all we want to do is get as much breast tissue into the baby's mouth so that when the baby compresses, that nipple should not be compressed between the tongue and the hard palate. This is where that if you take your baby off, your nipple is sandwiched or it's got a whitening on it or that it's in a lipstick shape. That's indicating that it's not as deep as it potentially could be. When we get baby on, you might have a little bit of discomfort in those early days for 10 to 20 seconds where you go, okay, I can manage it. And then they can talk away and have a conversation. If a mom is sitting there, regardless of what you are told that you've got a perfect latch, it's beautiful, it's lovely, but you are sitting there in extreme pain or you take baby off and your now nipple is having trauma to it, it's cut, it's broken, that is not normal. That might indicate that maybe positioning needs to be tweaked or maybe there's an oral reason for it. So anatomical reason, potentially like a tight frenulum or an or a tongue tie is what people will often refer to it as. So in this situation, you might need extra further help where you look at an IBCLC, a lactation consultant to give you help and guidance. But a lot of the time, babies have a lot of innate reflexes that tell them how to latch on. And while sometimes we don't have the perfect latch, what we talk about, we don't need to. If the baby is transferring milk, mom is pain-free and the picture is looking really good, then we go with it. We only really need to focus in those early days and weeks to make it as easy for us and as easy for baby to get that milk. So latch, yes, whilst it's very important. If your breastfeeding picture is looking perfect, but you're obsessed about trying to get this good latch, then if things are going well, don't fix what's not broken. Yeah, absolutely. Don't overthink it. What's your thought on the whole idea of kind of responsive feeding versus a schedule feeding? This has come up a bit. Yeah, and I suppose a lot of us struggle with responsive feeding because we are kind of nearly put into routines from very early on. I know as a nurse, my life revolved around routines. That's how it worked through uh, many aspects. So on my very first baby, I would have been quite routined. Now, my baby just happened to slot into that. I didn't really necessarily work that way. And when it comes to breastfeeding, you can't make a baby feed the way we want them to feed because everyone's milk supply is different. How much milk we store in our breasts is completely different. So some moms, that have a large milk storage capacity. That means they can store a lot of milk within the breast at any one time. It means there's a lot more milk readily available. So babies can take in large volumes and they may go three hourly till the next feed. The majority of breastfed infants don't get that far because the amount of milk that moms hold is generally smaller. So they take in small feeds and they feed more frequent. So that's just how it works. It also means in order to calibrate and establish and maintain a milk supply, we need to have frequent and effective milk removal. How frequent is really dependent on the mom's milk supply. So when it comes to breastfeeding, sometimes we do need to kind of go, I'm here. I have to go with the flow of what baby's telling me. I've had four babies. They've all fed completely different. Whilst the first fed nearly every three hours, not one of my other babies followed suit. So how a baby takes the milk as well has a large part to do with it. So we have to more responsively feed. If you're looking at putting in some sort of routine down the line, 
then you'd maybe just look at waking up at the same time every day. If we pick a baby up at the same time, it gives you a bit of an idea down the line that you know my baby feeds roughly every two hours. So if you start at eight o'clock every day, you roughly know how your day is going if you want to sort of plan. But that said, you could trial it one day and start the same day and something will throw a baby off. They're teething, they're sick, you know, you're out and about, which prolongs a feed. It just depends. Yeah. But realistically, Scheduled feeding does not, generally speaking, work for the majority of breastfeeding infants. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree. I, I completely agree with the responsiveness, and I, and I and I do think that you get into a bit of a rhythm. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a kind of connection there. I think you know, obviously, you and your baby are kind of working as a team. Yes, exactly. So it's something that you probably you know shouldn't really overthink. Something that I do think a lot of um, breastfeeding moms probably worry about from time to time is, like, obviously nothing's measured here so you know they're always worried that their baby is maybe not getting enough milk or are they full especially when you know obviously the the baby loses weight in the first few days like you know obviously that can be kind of a challenging time for mom so what would you kind of suggest in, in terms of getting through that period of worry so yeah I mean it's a great a great question great topic research will tell us the number one reason why most moms stop breastfeeding is not down to pain or issues. It's down to the feeling or perceived um, lack of supply or undersupply or not meeting their baby's needs. In the very first few days, we know it's normal for a baby to lose potentially up to 10%. At this rate, generally around the day four, when once our milk starts transitioning in, we get that, you know, kind of get into the flow of what we're with regards to breastfeeding and latching and positioning. Then we can look at the overall picture. So that's where we'd expect us to see a weight gain starting about 30 grams in or around, give or take 22 to 30 grams a day in 24 hours. Does that mean we need to weigh our babies daily? No. In the very first two weeks, the biggest clinical indicator for parents to know things are going well is firstly, look at how your baby is. Are they happy and content after feeds? Whilst you're feeding, listen for that audible swallow. An audible swallow tells us the baby's transferring milk. Look at the wet and dirty nappies. They're a very good clinical marker. So wet nappies, one on day one, two on day two, three on day three, four on day four. And after day five, once our milk starts transitioning in, then we're looking at five to six plus wet nappies in a 24-hour period. This tells us our baby is hydrated. Looking at the dirty nappies that they're transitioning from that black tarry stool on day one, we'd expect one, on day two, one to two, and then increasing in volume and changing in colour from that black tarry stool to brownie to yellowy mustard, kind of seedy stool. It's looser, it's not like what you'd expect, and plenty of it. Some babies will have two to three large and a few splatters. Some babies will have more splatters and maybe one large. And that's what we're looking at. You can't judge how the breastfeeding picture is going by just one element like weight. So weight could be excelling, but we could have issues with regards to a breastfeeding issue that mom is finding very difficult. You might have very poor weight gain. And this can be down to in the very early days that maybe uh, fluids that had transferred from mom to baby during the labor period has now led to a false, essentially false uh, birth weight. So there's loads of elements that we need to take in the whole clinical picture. But essentially, if you're at home and you're kind of going, is my baby getting enough? Is your baby content after feeds? Are they are they happy? Are they getting loads of audible swallows? Are wet and dirty nappies good? If that is the case, then things sound like they're going really well and weight is gaining appropriately. If your baby is not gaining weight well, if they're very irritable and settled, you have a baby that is clustering, but not just for one period, 24 hours a day, that's when it's time to maybe say, I need to check in and link in with somebody and see, um, is there anything we need to change? 
Yeah, you're so you're so right. That's great advice. And I think that's really where you kind of should lean on your public health nurse and or, you know, a lactation consultant or even just some of those, you know, like, as you said, the Lesh League. I think with the right support network and, you know, you're setting yourself up to, to make that journey a little bit easier and because you want to enjoy it as well. Like it doesn't last forever. And no, you're so right. And I do think that they need like if you're hitting big challenges early on it's time to look at specialist help. So link in around, use your PHN, your community midwives. But remember, if you're hitting large challenges, sometimes it's easier if we can get them under control in the earlier stages rather than leaving them too long it can have a much more positive impact on your breastfeeding journey. Yeah, 100%. And um, Katie, can we just kind of briefly talk about the topic of supply? Because there's an oversupply and then there's the, you know, low supply. Sometimes there is a paranoia about low supply. It may not be the case. And um, I, I always find that, I suppose, when I was doing my breastfeeding journey, that it was something really topical. We used to talk about a lot with my friends and Firstly, we talk about oversupply um, and what that might look like for a mom. Yeah, so oversupply can be as hard to deal with as an undersupply. Um, People always think grass is always greener on the other side, and it's certainly not. So oversupply is where we have too much milk, essentially, that what our baby needs. And with that, generally speaking, we lead to engorgement. So mom's struggling to get to the next feed because they're really, really full. When they are feeding, babies are nearly struggling with the flow because it's so fast because there's such a volume of it coming at them. And it can be where we have recurrent mastitis or blocked ducts because mom's milk supply is so high that baby does not need half of what they're producing. How large or over milk supply is just dependent on every mom. Generally speaking, it may be down to that there's been a pump involved very early on in addition to the baby feeding. So essentially, we have withdrawn so much milk early on that it has led the body being told we need extra. When that milk starts transitioning, it's hormonally responsive. So every mom will generally feel kind of that fullness where they kind of sometimes will have engorgement, where they just feel that really big, the supply coming through. If some moms are advised, and I do see it still routinely said, oh, look, you've got too much there. You're really engorged. You need to pump after a feed. Every time we take milk, our bodies are told to produce. If your baby is feeding and we start putting a pump to it as well, then basically our bodies are told to produce equally to what is being removed. And this can lead to oversupply issues, but it can be very challenging. And this is maybe more likely where we see babies feeding one feed on one breast and then the next feed will be on the opposite breast. So they stay more on one breast per feed. In between that, if the other breast is very engorged, we need to nearly train it to reduce down supply. So where we don't want to be bursting, we don't want to take too much. So like hand express a little bit away for comfort, but not to empty. In the situations where we have extreme oversupply issues, it's working with an IBCLC. And in that instance, sometimes we look at block feeding. So this is where you would feed off one breast for maybe two to three feeds in a row and then changing over to the opposite breast and maybe doing one to two feeds in a row, potentially three, just depends, and then vice versa. So we're telling the body rapidly to reduce down that supply. This is not taken lightly and it shouldn't be advised uh, kind of without under the guidance of an IBCLC to work through that. But it can be very challenging. Um, You'll often see in the baby, you might see a very gassy baby, sometimes a weight gain excelling way more than we'd expect three four five hundred grams in a week to two weeks and this can be a clinical indicator as well you can have a fast letdown without having oversupply so it's just making sure i often see it overdiagnosed where parents think oh i've actually got a really fast letdown so i've got oversupply so then they start trying to reduce supply and actually that wasn't the issue i never heard of that 
So we just need to be very careful. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And then on the low supply side of things, which, you know, I I remember being so paranoid about low supply and uh, Googling everything and then be like, okay, I need to eat more porridge oats. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, it's crazy. It's it's, uh, when I look at my Google search history. You do anything though. In those early days, you Google ferociously at night or during the day during those feeds going, oh my God, what to do? Basically, when it comes to supply, we all do, regardless of looking at previous pictures or even our history that we take into account, we start off our breastfeeding journeys the exact same. So sometimes we got red flags starting out in breastfeeding. So we may not have any had any breast changes during pregnancy. We may have already got a hormonal issue um, that's part of our journey. So if you went down the route of help to conceive like IV, and that was down to maternal hormonal issues, then that can be like a marker that we look at. Also, if we had a thyroid issue that was maybe under control or not controlled, that can be an issue. But nothing is guaranteed. So you can have a mom that had a baby via IVF because of hormonal issues and go on to have no issues breastfeeding whatsoever. So these are just elements that we look into if I'm doing a consult. I will always take a background history of how periods were and previous history with regards to hormonal issues, but that is not a guarantee of how your breastfeeding journey is going to continue. Basically, when baby's born, it's all about milk removal effectively and frequent. If we have done all this and a mom is going down the route of feeding the baby but then red flags are starting to pose and we are questioning is there a low uh, a low milk supply and we start bringing in pump element and they're still not achieving that then it can be very difficult for a mom to deal with we hear of galactagogues so like that porridge oats porridge oats can be a really good element yes we would always recommend it we have melangue which is galacta supplement which can help as well but these are only additional to frequent and effective milk removal sometimes we need to bring in a pump and we will bring in that too sometimes no matter what there is a small cohort of women that despite every effort they make they will not achieve a full milk supply that does not mean they have to stop breastfeeding that just means that maybe we have to change our avenue and we need to go down a more combined approach that can be a very positive journey however we must uh, make it clear that when you want to do something so badly and that choice is removed that is a grieving process for every mom. So even though people will say, you're grand, sure, you're only given a bottle, sure, isn't they, aren't they thriving? That's still like nearly a knife in the heart. Like it's very hard for a mom to process and get through. But dealing, if you have had a previous journey of low milk supply, again, it doesn't mean that you won't have be able to achieve a better milk supply on your second, third or fourth child. But I would always look into um, expert uh, help with an IBCLC to help get you on the best possible path um, to where you want to get. This only kind of really came up when, when I got my period. My, my period came around six months into it and which I didn't expect but anyway it it just happened Um, and I really really felt that during the period I just felt like the supply was low and I just felt like it really impacted it but then when I'm the other three weeks were totally fine and everything was normal and that's why I started to get paranoid is that normal yeah that is normal so when our cycle menstrual cycle starts to return particularly if you're in the younger stages of the early months of where babies are reliant on purely just breast milk then we often see that it can impact supply. So generally anywhere mid-cycle, right up until day three or day four, we can see a dip in our milk supply where babies become more fussier. You may notice that they just go back to the breast a lot more frequent than they had previous. 
sometimes in some situations we recommend a calcium magnesium supplement combined in order to kind of resettle that hormonal imbalance and then you would generally take from mid-cycle up until about day three to day four of your period and then you come off it and restart again should it happen so it can happen and we would recommend if it's continuing and you're really struggling then we would look at a combined calcium and magnesium supplement it should be combined because you're taking calcium in a high levels so it should always be taken in combination with magnesium that's amazing. That's great. I never heard that you can, you know, maybe get, you know, supplementation and to kind of really help. And, um, and that's, that's really great. And, and, and that's the thing, like, even though I've, I've lived through this journey, it's, it's again, like you've so many things that you're going to still learn about it, you know, when you're out of that journey and, and, but it's something to bear in mind for sure. I, I don't know whether this comes up a lot, but some parents like to obviously introduce some bottle feeds as well. Is there any advice that you would have? Because I remember at the time, you know, thinking, you know, people used to say to me, don't do anything now for at least four weeks. You have to have, you know, never introduce a bottle, you know, until you've got a month down. Like, I, I don't know where that rule came from or who told me, but it stuck in my head. But well, what would your advice be? So it really does depend on every mom baby. I first of all say get breastfeeding going, get the hang of it, get so it's a it's a learned experience. So how um you like some babies are take to the breast really well. Other moms and babies just takes a little bit of time to learn the technique and how to latch and get going on the breastfeeding journey. Some moms will excel and they'll find three, four weeks later, I'm flying with this, we've got it down, I know exactly what I'm doing. Then fair enough. If you want to bring in a bottle, it just depends. If you're bringing in a bottle of experience breast breast milk, then I would generally say most people will bring it in kind of in the late evening. So maybe around the 9, 10, 11 o'clock mark. So if you're going to do that, you would collect a little bit of milk in advance to that. So that might mean in the mornings after you do a feed, our supplies are at its highest. So you'll often find a mom will pump for five to 10 minutes afterwards and they collect that little bit of milk until they've got enough for a feed. Once they've got enough for a full feed, they'll go ahead and say, right, tonight you're going to do the feed and I'm not going to. So in that point, I would still recommend doing a pump in exchange for that. So you would wait. So you would go to bed after the previous feed. That might be about eight o'clock. Get stuck up in your sleep. If baby wakes for their feed around 10 or 11, then you generally wake up, stick the pump on, do your 10 to 15 minutes, depending on volume and what pump you're using. And then that will be the bottle for the next day. So that's if you want to make sure that your baby's getting express breast milk and uh, you're kind of maintaining supply. So if your partner was away, you can just put baby back to the breast should you wish. But generally speaking, if you were pumping it's, or giving a bottle feed and doing a quick pump, it's probably quicker than for most moms than doing the breastfeed. And that might work in their favor. If you want to bring in a bottle of formula and you're dropping that feed completely, then we try to get baby or mom to the longest point as possible. So our milk supplies kind of calibrate in around the six week mark. And that means that we've calibrated this high milk yield for down the line. So our milk supply at six weeks is the same milk supply we have at six months. It's the same milk supply you have at a year. It just teaches to the man that's put to it. So this is why we try to calibrate the highest yield possible. So it's there for down the line. If you start bringing in a bottle of formula, then realistically, you will find that your milk supply will dip. In the mother with a really large milk supply, shouldn't have too much of an impact. It, you know, it won't impact too much. But however, if a mom was really struggling with their milk supply and now they've brought in this bottle and they're going like five to six hours, that can maybe affect their overall supply. So I always say, if possible, try to get the furthest point. But that said, if you are flying it on your breastfeeding journey and not having an issue, then it's more likely not to have the same impact as it would on a mom that is suffering and having issues. Some people will bring in a bottle 
and do a bit of comp- so that's considered combination feeding when we're using a bottle of formula with any element of breastfeeding and it works really well the biggest thing is keeping it to the same time so instead of saying I'll give a bottle at 11 now I might give a bottle at uh, that night or I'll give a bottle in the afternoon that means your supply is not regulating to the to the demand that's being put to it so if we could try to keep it to the same time of maybe 9 10 or 11 whatever time that night feed falls then it's less likely to have the impact okay that's that's really 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 good. Um, I think it's good to say also that it's it's totally okay if you've made a decision also to start introducing bottles. Absolutely. I think a lot of women just put so much pressure on themselves, and they're like, "Oh, if I do that, you know, they might be craving some flexibility." And then they're like, "But if I do it, am I not a hundred percent in in the breastfeeding journey? And I shouldn't do that. I feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Do what you need to do because this is much about once you're you know." your baby's looked after, but you also have to look after mom because, you know, it's hard and it's tough. And when you are the person doing all of the night feeds all of the time for months on end, like you do get to a point where you might just need a bit of a break. And if that's a, you know, a, you know, the dad or the partner doing a bottle, like it's okay. Like I always say, it's your journey. You decide on what what's right for you. Yeah. Um, and whether a baby gets one breastfeed or gets fed every day for a week or gets fed every day for a year, they, you're still a breastfeeding mom and baby is still getting elements of breast milk. So regardless of how much they're still getting elements, they're just going to benefit the baby. So you have to do what's right for you. And there should be no element of guilt within our breastfeeding journeys or any part of parenting because we all make mistakes. We all learn from them and no like we don't create big mistakes, but we might kind of choose on like to go a different avenue another time. But like parenting is tough. I mean, I've had four kids. I do things very differently on my fourth. And I think I cringe when I think of what I did to my poor first, because I think I try to aspire to be that perfect mother that tried to listen to what everyone else was doing. And I try to do the same as what everyone else is doing. Now, I think uh, the more kids I've had, I'm just an awful lot more confident in my parenting and realized, you know what? We do it differently and that's okay. And what I find is right for my family is not right for somebody else's family. And that's okay. We need to stop the judgment and support each other instead. Whether a mom decides to bottle feed, breastfeed, combine feed, whatever that avenue they take should be supported. They should be educated and we shouldn't have pit one group against another because we're all mothers at the end of the day trying to get through this journey and raise our kids in a happy and healthy environment. A hundred percent. You know, you're absolutely right. And, you're, you know, we're all in it together. There's no sides. It's we're literally all in this motherhood journey together. So, yeah, no, I think it's about kind of telling yourself or reminding yourself to take the pressure off because um, you're doing a great job. Absolutely. Unfortunately, some people do have very, very challenging points of their journey. And there are certain kind of physical things that would happen to a mom, whether it be like cracked nipples, mastitis, that kind of thing. Like, you know, obviously they are very challenging points in a journey for sure. And I suppose like in everything that you do, um, I, I presume that like maybe working or would it be right to say that, you know, maybe work with a professional to try to get you through those tough times to get you to continue the journey would be a good idea because I I would imagine like if you are battling physically and you don't have the support that it would be very, very difficult to keep going. So I suppose what I'm kind of asking is like, is there any sort of advice or main advice that you'd give to women who are, you know, meeting some of the really big challenges? 
Yeah, like I definitely agree it's expert help. Like lactation consultants have gone down the path of education, like it's it's a specialist role. So whilst even as a public health nurse, I had experience with breastfeeding, I'd breastfed my own. I gained a lot of experience in Australia. Um, I still didn't have the knowledge until I, I went and studied and specialised in that field. Almost most of us would have greater than five to six to seven years of specialist education in this field and experience. So when it comes to these big hurdles, then you really need specialist help. And we can change that path should you choose to take it. There are some elements that no matter how much we try to improve something, it's not going to have the effect that we would like it to have. And that's just, it's out of our hands when it comes to low milk supply. But it's about supporting the mother in an environment that we can do our best to get them to the point where, you know, they can do as much as they can or achieve the goals that they had hoped to achieve. When we've cracked broken nipples, I hear it time and time again, mothers being told, oh, it's normal, you just have to feed through it. And it's not normal. Pain is not a rite of passage for breastfeeding. Yes, discomfort, we have to get used to our nipples being used in this manner, but not pain, not a mother sitting there. And I've seen it time and time again where they get to the point of where they're so bad. I, When I go in, I have to take them off the baby off the breast and look at a pump in order to allow it to heal. But you know what? Their mothers then, if they really want, they kind of choose, they say, look, I've always wanted to do this, then they will go on to do it. A mother that's kind of on the fence or they don't have the support, unless they get that support from elsewhere, you're more likely to see a mother kind of changing their pathway that they maybe not had envisaged would take. So I always say expert help. When we hit any of those flags very early on, really severely cracked, broken nipples, the pain is not improving, feeding for 24 hours consistently, large weight losses that aren't being picked up very early on. So if we have a large weight loss or sometimes things aren't looking right, then I don't like to let them excel because sometimes then we're working even harder to get back to the point of where we should have been at in the early stages. So yes, weight loss is allowed up to 10%. If we're hitting 12, 13% and no Nobody's looking at the picture overall. You can add in a top-up, but a top-up isn't a cure of the issue that's present. So a top-up, to be very clear, is an additional supplement, which may need to be given, not denying that. But that's when we need to step in and look at protecting our supply and making sure that we bring in a pump if the if we are using an outside source of supplement. So that's where sometimes it can be overlooked when people don't have that expertise and knowledge. And that's perfectly fine because we all have our own specialties. I suppose if you're having really big issues early on and you have kind of gone to all the resources available to you and things aren't improving, that's when we need to contact a lactation consultant. And I presume as well that um, if you're not aware, obviously, you know, you could probably Google it, but I would imagine most of the public health nurses that you'd be working with would know a local lactation consultant that they could refer you on. Like, I'm I'm sure they're read, like they're accessible all over the country. Yes, they are available everywhere. In fairness to them, they may only be in their new position. They may not be from the area. They may not know. But if you look up the Alki website, um, that lists all lactation consultants throughout um, Ireland. So you will be able to find somebody in your area. A lot of us do online consults, which are very easy to use. I use them worldwide with clients from Australia, New Zealand, Australia. Um, South America. So they're very easy to use. Some people like the one-on-one as well approach and you will find somebody to do that. It just depends on time span. Yeah, no, that's, that's, you know, that's great. And what we'll do is we'll make sure we will link that resource in the show notes just so people can get that directory. Great. I know that, you know, for, for everybody ending a breastfeeding journey that comes at different times. And I think it's really important that 
if you can maybe get support for that too because it's not it's not a simple stop button and Absolutely. there's a lot of kind of you know there's a lot of lasting effects and it's and, and it can be kind of somewhat challenging on a not just a physical but an emotional level and, and I just so even if you're breastfeeding and you're doing it and you know you're a few months in and you're like you know you want you made a decision to end but I just I would tell people just to get some support on, on that it is one of the biggest consultant like consultation uh, I would do all the time is when it comes to weaning. And I'm really passionate about this part because I think it's an area that was forgotten about for so long. It's just like, oh, you've breastfed now. Just stop it. Just stop. I can tell you on my four journeys, oh my God, like I didn't expect it to be so tough. And I suppose my first two would have taken a bottle from time to time. So it was very easy. My third and fourth never did. And when it came to weaning my third, I hit so many challenges and I felt so lonely and alone because I couldn't find any resources online for it that I started to really educate. And it's an area that I think parents need the support to get through it. And we need that from our partners, our family and everyone else. So whether you do decide to do it in the very younger age or the toddler age, then support is needed. I offer an online workshop, um, both now on demand that you can do take at your own pace and a live class. And they're probably one of the highest, like they fill out all the time. They're booked out because it's an area that there's very little resources on. So support yourself educate and do it at a time when you're ready to do it because oftentimes what happens is we're ready in the head going I am done I, I can't take this I really want to finish it I want to end it on a really happy note but then the heart just doesn't meet the heart's like oh you break as soon as they look at you with those little puppy dog eyes you're like I'm sold come on I'll do it so when the heart and mind don't uh, meet is where we often see that we find it a little bit harder but yes you are so right the weaning journey is as important as the, the starting off journey. And oftentimes you can have a really easy breastfeeding journey and then it comes to the weaning and that's where the challenges come. So expert help. Expert help, 100%. And I think mums really need to look after themselves because it's just, it is hard and you feel like there's a little piece of you that's missing or something that you're just, it, it's such a weird adjustment. It's like, oh, it's so tough. And I, I really didn't expect it to be so tough. And I, and I, I just went into it kind of blindly. So I definitely advice would be to, you know, lean on, um, lean on help because, you know, make that, yeah, end on a high, which, which would be, you know, the ideal scenario. Emotionally, it's, it's so tough. Katie, this has been amazing. What I want to do is I want to just finish on a last question. And I, I'm going to ask this to all my guests on the podcast, but basically... What is the one piece of advice you would share with a new parent? So anything you wish you knew at the time or a little pearl of wisdom to pass on? You don't need to be perfect. That we are all individual, our babies are all individual. And sometimes we strive for what we believe is perfection uh, from the books, from the TV, from what we are informed should happen. And we have little people with little personalities and it doesn't always follow suit. I look back and I reflect and I think I enjoy my fourth child so much because I have set realistic expectations of what both my family and what we want to accept to where we want to get in our family life. So, yeah, I think your family is your family. What you choose and how you choose to parent um, is what you go to, to take the snippets of info in one year and what you find those little golden nuggets, I say cherish them. And they will be things that you will take on board when we have other elements in one ear and out the other. And you parent as you want to parent. But don't strive for perfection. It's not out there. Oh, I love that. It's so true. 
it's so true but you know some sometimes you just need to hear those words you just need to hear them Katie this has been amazing like and I I wish you know that I had this I wish I could listen to this podcast before I started it and and that's what I really really wanted to achieve from this and I think we you know we have and I know it's only a snippet because I know that if anybody was to maybe do one of your courses or your consultation that you know go even a bit further and in terms of the information but your wealth of knowledge and um and I think you've offered so much insight um, and valuable kind of nuggets of information for any mum who's sitting there thinking will I go down this breastfeeding journey so Katie for any of our audience who wants to maybe get in touch with you or to find out more about you obviously you're you know you're you've an amazing Instagram but where where would you like them to kind of find more information so all over on my website, www.nursingmama.ie, you'll get all information with regards to all classes and video on demand courses and for consultations. If you're looking for tips and advice, then follow me on Instagram at nursingmama.ie, where I share as much free info as I can to help you along your journeys. Yeah, I love your reels. Oh God, they're so embarrassing. <laughs> no, they're not. Do you know what I love? The snippets of just the, like, you know, it's such a, you know, it's a serious subject, but it's bringing a bit, it's lighting it up a bit. And it's just, no, I love it. I actually, yeah, I followed you. I followed you for ages. So look, well done. And thanks a million. Um, it's been great to chat to you today. Thanks, Leanne. Delighted to join you. Thank you for listening to Caring Conversations. Get lots more help, advice and information on our Care Plus Baby Club. It's easy and free to join. Just click the link in the show notes on your podcast player right now. Join us on our next podcast where we find out about sleeping babies and importantly, sleeping mothers. To get it automatically, just click the follow button on your player right now. Care and Conversations is produced by JustPod.io and brought to you by Care Plus Pharmacy with outlets right across Ireland. Find your nearest CarePlus pharmacy at careplus.ie. Until next time, from all the CarePlus pharmacy team, thank you for listening.